As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle are traveling to the UK as Prince Andrew is keeping on his royal protection. It's just a very strange um, decision for this committee to make if they have indeed made this decision. I mean, it just raises more questions and everything with Andrew sort of keeping his tie to the royal family. You just want to say, why? Why? The Crown is looking for its Prince William as a new documentary about Princess Diana brings out some new revelations. And it really shows how much, I mean, they could do this this whole film with no narrative, no back and forth dialogue. It's literally just press and paparazzi footage. And it shows her entire life in the royal family. Plus, Lord John Stevens breaks down the conspiracy theories surrounding Princess Diana's tragic death. Because they didn't know the circumstances of their mother's death, when she died, what did she say? And, and beyond that, I don't want to declare what the conversations were. But at the end of the day, uh, it was very emotional. We've got that plus so much more in today's Royally Us. Hello to our fellow royal lovers and welcome to Royally Us. I'm Christina, that's Christine. And Christine, we have a lot of Princess Diana documentaries, docu-series to break down. Obviously, you know, we're coming on to the um, 25th anniversary of her death. So a lot of people are going to be talking about this in the upcoming weeks. Yeah, it's on, you know, every August we sort of see more stories about her as her anniversary of her death does come about. And this year, especially being such a big anniversary, we're seeing so much. Yes, definitely. It's so much. 25 years, it's hard to believe, but unbelievable. I mean, it's really crazy. Really <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. Um, all right. Well, before we get into the news of the week, we have to check in to see what you guys had to say about last week's show. Obviously got a lot of people talking. Uh, Jonesy says the crazy thing about Harry suing the UK home office over security is that no one ever said Harry couldn't have security when visiting the UK. He would receive full police protection if he stayed with his brother, father, or the queen, or if attending official events. He's thrown an epic tantrum regarding security because he wants 24-7 police protection when visiting the UK for his commercial ventures outside of the monarchy. No, Harry, why should the British taxpayers fund your police protection for your pursuit of wealth? Um, Well, when we talked to Richard H. last week, he did say that when Harry was there for the service of Thanksgiving, he, he did receive that police protection because this was an official royal event. So that person is correct. When he is visiting in a royal capacity, he does have that police protection. Right. And I think that makes this almost more interesting that, you know, clearly 
he wants it for non-royal events. So yeah. he, it, it does sound like this comment is correct, that he's really looking for that police protection when they're here doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. And that's just not really how it works. No, it's not how it works. And then A says, I feel like Harry is actually waiting to release this book. Like he's waiting for the queen to pass. Anyone get that feeling? He was supposed to release it sooner, but he changed the date. Of course, uh, you know, a lot of people back and forth, we don't really know too much about um, when, when the book will be released. Um, you know, we hear that it is done but that's a very good possibility that he could just be waiting. It is. And, but then I also think of all my friends in publishing who like, you know, deadlines are sort of like, you know, loose guidelines half the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially if you're not used to them, I do wonder if Harry and the people he was working with, um, you know, just those deadlines were sort of <laughs> suggestions. Yes. Suggestions. Definitely. Well, we'll have to wait and see. It'll be here. It's, it's coming. Uh, we just don't know when. All right. Well, let's get, speaking of Harry, let's get into our Royal Roundup and uh, he and Meghan Markle are heading back to the UK. The couple will be in the United Kingdom and Germany in September. The rep said in a statement that they will be visiting charities close to their hearts during their visit. They will attend One Young World 2022 Manchester Summit on September 5th. They will then travel to Germany to attend the Invictus Games Dusseldorf 2023 One Year to Go event on September 6th, then go back to the UK on September 8th for the Well Child Awards, which Prince Harry is a patron. So definitely uh, heading back to the UK sooner than we thought. I thought we wouldn't see them for a long time after their experience during the Jubilee. Uh, but I think that these events are really well suited to, you know, the work that they're trying to do, or the work that they've always been trying to do, especially Prince Harry. These are causes really close to his heart. So I think it probably just worked out really well that all these events were sort of within the same weekend. And they said, OK, let's go and, you know, these this, make this important to us. Definitely. Yeah. So it should be interesting to see. I mean, we don't know if um, the royal uh, visit with the royal family is on the schedule. They have a couple more weeks to figure that out. Um, but I'm sure maybe a pop in. Um, maybe Maybe. We'll see. I don't know. <laughs> you know there'll be so much speculation. We'll have so much to talk about, but I don't know that we'll actually find out the truth. <laughs> that is very true. That is very true. Well, this is interesting because the Telegraph reports that Prince Andrew will keep his taxpayer-funded security as Prince Harry, like we said, continues his battle for UK police protection for his family. Now, the Executive Committee for the Protection of Royalty and Public Figures determined that Andrew is still entitled to public-funded bodyguards despite stepping back from royal duties. The cost of his personal security detail is estimated to cost between $600,000 and $3.6 million annually. Now, this is according to The Telegraph. However, Prince Andrew has not been seen at a royal event since February, except for the service of Thanksgiving. Do we think that this is fair? Should he still be able to get police protection if he's stepping back from royal duties as well? I don't think so. This is such a weird one, especially yeah. with the conversation that we're having about Harry's police protection. It's just a very strange um, decision for this committee to make if they have indeed made this decision. I mean, it just raises more questions and everything with Andrew sort of keeping his tie to the royal family. You just want to say, why? 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 <laughs> why are you yes. doing this? Why? And um, it also goes to, is this Andrew's decision? Is this the Queen's decision to keep that police protection? Because we know that, you know, she's um, has always been in Andrew's corner throughout a lot of this and um, kind of always had his back. So but it is a, kind of a double standard in some way, because why should he receive this protection and Harry not? 
I don't know. Please let I us know in the comments what you guys think about this one. Yeah, I want to know what people think for sure. <laughs> yeah, a <laughs> lot of opinions. All right, well, let's move over to Prince William because um, this was a you know a beautiful story. He offered some powerful advice about losing a parent to the children of Deborah James ahead of her death uh, this past summer. Uh, her husband, Sebastian Bowen, recently told the Times that Prince William felt like a friend when he visited the family for tea back in May. He said, there was the time I opened the door to Prince William, who had come to give Deborah a damehood. He felt like a friend, but he was the future king. That was bizarre. He was so relaxed. He came and sat down in the garden and had champagne with the family. And he also gave some insight and advice to uh, Deborah's children, who are 14 and 12. He said he's obviously been through some similar grief with the loss of his mother. So he gave powerful advice to the children that will stay with them forever. Um, this is such a sad, sad, sad story. She died so young, but it was such um, a beautiful moment when Prince William went there, gave her her damehood, had tea, had some champagne and really spent a lovely afternoon with the family. Yeah. And this really was, you know, her um, Deborah James's time sort of in final stages of hospice care at home was a really powerful moment for the British people. Everyone knew the story. It really was everywhere. Um, and so I think that it's so William getting involved was just so wonderful. It really sort of validated that this woman touched so many people's lives. And I love that the photos that we saw of him there for tea and champagne, it, he did kind of look like a family member. And yet you are like, um, that's the King of England or, you know, the future King of England. No. And I'm sure he gave those, uh, her children some really great advice. I mean, you know, they lost their mother around the same age that Prince William and Prince Harry lost their mother. So I'm sure that they can relate on a lot of different levels that most of us can't relate to. So I'm sure it was a really special moment for them as well. Um, but speaking of good things that the Duke and Duchess uh, do, Prince George's parents politely declined an invitation to a sixth birthday party that Prince George was invited to. A staff member for the royal couple wrote, um, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge have asked me to thank you for your letter in which you invite Prince George to your sixth birthday party. I am sorry that it took so long to reply. The Royal Highnesses were extremely grateful for your kind invitation. Having given careful consideration to the possibilities, however, I very much regret that their Royal Highness Highnesses reluctantly feel that they have to decline. Nevertheless, I hope you enjoyed your birthday. I love that so much that they took the time to write this. This is so sweet. It really is sweet. You know, it's a keepsake that, that that little boy or girl can keep forever. Mm -hmm. um, and it's such a fun, it, actually, if you send them a wedding invitation, you'll kind of get a similar reply. They always seem to be, you know, uh, their schedules must be so busy because <laughs> they always seem to reluctantly decline. But I think it, it creates such a special keepsake, um, especially for you know, a, a birthday party where it's going to be so special for that child. Definitely. I love that so much. All right. Well, now it is time to spill some royal tea. And this is interesting. If you look like Prince William, then you better listen up because the uh, crown is looking for their next Prince William. They stated in a casting call that they are searching for an exceptional young actor to play Prince William in the next series. Is that the, they are looking for somebody between the ages of 18 and 35 with a strong physical resemblance. It goes on to say that no previous professional acting experience is required. Um, they are very experienced in providing a great deal of support for the young actors and their families through what they find a uniquely rewarding creative process. Um, but you better react soon because they start shooting next month. So um, clearly the crown waited to the last minute to find their Prince right. William. How do they not have a Prince William? I mean, how is that possible? <laughs> I 
don't know. It is forgot like who dropped the ball here. Who was like, oh no. (laughs) Oh no, we forgot about William. We better get on this. Um, I don't really have anybody in mind that I really think could play. I mean, we know Dominic West is going to be playing Prince Charles Mm -hmm. um, in the upcoming series. His son is actually going to be playing a young Prince William in the upcoming um, season five of The Crown. Um, So that's pretty cool. But I guess they're looking for somebody a little bit older. I don't think that this is going to be a huge role on the show, but um, definitely uh, an important role. (laughs) Yes, it's so interesting that there's no previous acting experience required. I think you're right that this isn't going to be a huge acting role. I think this might be maybe some... I almost think it's going to be like B-roll, you know, non-speaking yeah. parts or like very short lines. Yeah, yeah, but just running I, around I in the background. I can't think of anybody who would come close. So they, they must, they'll probably find, you know, like a, someone you've never heard of before. Yes, a very obscure actor, mm-hmm. an up-and-coming person, but very cool. Um, definitely a, an opportunity if you look like Prince William. Um, but like we said at the top of the show, the documentaries about Princess Diana um, are coming fast and furious. And there is a great one that is out right now on HBO called The Princess, um, which showed her constant battle with the paparazzi through archival footage and audio. I know that you watched the documentary. Was there anything that really stood out to you? Um, It's such an interesting documentary. I thought it was very good. And it really takes you a while to notice this, but there's no narration. There's not even really like a a traditional amount of dialogue. And yet it's such a fun narrative to follow or an interesting narrative to follow. And it really shows how much, I mean, they could do this whole film with no narrative, no back and forth dialogue. It's literally just press and paparazzi footage. And it shows her entire life in the royal family. That really shows, you know, how much she was, you know, just constantly filmed and video and photographed and constantly sort of scrutinized by the media. Um, I thought it was very interesting and very well done. I would definitely, it's definitely a good, you know, girls night watch. Definitely. You know, it's, it takes, like you said, it takes you through everything from the wedding to uh, her popularity, to feeling trapped in her marriage to, you know, the Taj Mahal kind of um, and how the media, she was the most photographed woman in the world. And it's, it's, it's really crazy. And it's an interesting way to portray her um, without the narratives, without, somebody else telling her story this is really diana in her own words through this archival Mm -hmm. footage but i know that the documentary did come under some heat recently because um it does feature that 1995 panorama interview and so in a statement uh a spokesperson for the film did tell us weekly that this feature documentary tells the story of princess diana exclusively through archive footage from the time without commentary from today this interview is shown briefly in context as a moment of historical record did that bother you at all when you were watching Um You know, it didn't bother me so much, but I was conscious. However, I am very much in this world and knowledgeable about it. And I thought, wow, this is probably the last time that this will be able to be used for anything of this nature, you know, because they, you know, the BBC said it will never show it again. We won't release rights to it. So this documentary is probably the last, you know, agreement that they had um, to show a clip from this footage. So it almost makes it more historical in a sense. It was very, very brief though. And it was part of the larger conversation about that time in history. So I didn't think it was, um, you know, it, it didn't bother me in any way, uh, but it was, for me, it was it, it, it was a historical moment because probably the last time we're going to see that 
document, you know, a clip from that documentary. Oh, definitely. No, I couldn't agree with you more. And they did say that when the BBC apologized and made note that they weren't going to be using this um, footage anymore, it was one week later that we found out that they were using the footage in this documentary. So this documentary was probably locked, loaded, ready to go. Um, before. And, you know, William has said that he never wants to see this, you know, interview shown ever again. So like you said, this probably will be the last time we will see this um, on screen, which is crazy and rightfully so. Um, Well, speaking more of Princess Diana than um, in the news, we wanted to break down the royal rules this week with Lord John Stevens. He was the lead investigator into the conspiracy theories surrounding Princess Diana's death. He is featured in the new Discovery Plus four-part series, The Diana Investigation. So take a look at this. Why do you think people are still so obsessed with these conspiracy theories after all these years? And even, you know, after watching this, it, it clearly seems like this was just a tragic accident. Yeah, well, it definitely was a tragic accident. Everyone says that from from who, who, who knows about it. I, I think that's a really good question. I think because she was a very gra- glamorous lady, she had very good causes. Mm-hmm. She was adored by people. Make no mistake about that. The thought that she had just actually died in a, in a car accident, I think it's difficult for people to understand. And let's be clear about it. When we took on the inquiry, and I'll give this give you one example of why Mr. Al-Fayed was right to ask for an investigation, which we did. And this is just one example. You know, we don't have time to talk about all the others. Mm-hmm. Um, when the blood of Henri Paul was taken, uh, he was found to have very, very high carbon monoxide in his blood. And that would have indicated that someone put a pipe or done something to the car, which would have disabled him and also the three people, sorry, the four people in the car, or three people other than him in the car. Now, the French didn't have an answer for that. So what we then did was we then got the blood samples from Diana, which was still in existence, thank the Lord, and found that the French pathologist had taken the blood from the cavity in the chest of Diana rather than a heart. And when that was done and re-examined, then the carbon monoxide levels came down to an understandable level. Now, that's just one example of what we did. Now, Mr. Fayed was absolutely right to cause that into, uh, as a concern, and there were one or two other things we did and we had to bottom out. And he was right to bring that. And it took a fair, that was one of the issues. I think if we hadn't have bottomed out, I think we'd have had great difficulty in saying that there wasn't some conspiracy or someone hadn't tampered with a car before it actually was involved in going over the, uh, down into the tunnel at 75 miles an hour, being chased by the paparazzi. What was it like going? Cause obviously you had to go back to the scene of the accident. What was it like going there for the first time? And, you know- oh yeah. <laughs> That was really interesting because we were in a police car and the press had got uh, an indication because they, they closed off the armor tunnel for two days for us to have a look at it, or for one day when we went there. And I was with the head of the, uh, the brigade criminal. And she and I were in a car and we had one or two people and there were police. Uh, and the paparazzi were chasing us. I mean, it was nothing compared to what Diana had to put up with and Henri Paul and Dodie and Trevor Weiss-Jones, who was the bodyguard who survived it, but was very badly injured. It was extraordinary, running around here, trying to take photographs, getting in front of the police car. You know, the mo- police motorcyclists had difficulty controlling them. And that evening, I really had an idea of what they must have gone through and why Henri Paul, who'd had a few drinks, but he wasn't drunk, had actually driven that car so fast 
The speed limit was 40 miles an hour going down to that tunnel. He went into that tunnel at 75 miles an hour. So do you think that there is more blame to be placed on the paparazzi or do you think it was the driver's um, choice of drink that evening? Well, I think it's an amalgam of things. And, it, you, know, it's, you know, I do a lot of flying of aircraft and aircraft accidents are caused. If you bring out one link in the chain, that accident will happen. There are a lot of things that if they'd happened that night, if Henri Paul... He had to come back because he's more or less ordered to, to do so by Dodie. He'd left the hotel. We've got uh, television things of him having a couple of records, two or three, and then he went home. Uh, he probably had more drink there, I suspect, but he wasn't drunk. We know that from the way he handled himself on the CCTV. He had to come back because he'd called back by his boss. Now, if he hadn't have been there and they'd have taken the car at the front of the Ritz, it's all sorts of things. If they hadn't have happened, there would not have been this horrendous accident. Mm. Did the bodyguard that survived? I know we see it in the documentary that he, yeah. he, he, you know, obviously he survived the accident. Did he provide you any sort of insight into what happened, or did he completely black out and forget everything that happened following the crash? Yeah, we, we saw him on a Trevor East Jones. He was actually probably the only one wearing a seatbelt, by the way. Mm. Um, we did actually see him on a number of occasions and were very gentle with him. He had horrendous industries, in, in, in injuries. He, he, he could not remember what happened that night. And so you know, we tried all different things with his agreement to try and trigger that memory back. Same. He couldn't remember. And at the end of the day, we just said, thank you, Trevor, and uh, we moved on. So he couldn't remember anything that took place that night. I think the last thing he remembered was going on duty in the Ritz, but beyond that, it, he didn't, couldn't take us anywhere. In your investigation, um, you met with Prince Charles to speak with him. Yes. How, what was that like? You know, Was he receptive um, to the inqu inquiry? Or was he standoffish? How, how did that go? No, he was he was totally cooperative. I went in with the Detective Chief Superintendent, Dave Douglas, and uh, put questions to him over a letter that came around about uh, Tiggy Lake Burke in terms of uh, his relationship with her, which we had to do. And he knew we had to do it. He was cooperative. Uh, he was charming. And he knew we were totally professional. We had the job to do, heir to the throne maybe, but we still had to do the job. So we went there, I think we were in there for about an hour, an hour and 15 minutes and took a statement from him. Was he aware, now was this the letter that Diana allegedly wrote to Paul Burrell about, you know, that she may die in a car accident? Was that, and did he read that letter? And what was his reaction to that? No, it was a different letter. It was okay. actually, just, it's just been concluded in the courts of justice about three, four weeks ago when the allegation was made that he was having an affair with Tiggy Lake Burke, who was a nanny, and also had a child by her, right. um, of that nature. The, the letter in relation to um, uh, the one you're talking about was given to Lord Mishcon, who was her personal solicitor at the time. Was, did that letter raise any red flags to you at, at the time? Well, yes, yes. I, it was given by Lord Mishcon to my predecessor, the Commissioner of, of the Met Police, out of Scotland Yard, and when I became commissioner in January 2000, uh, 2000, he showed me the letter and said, this is what it is. Uh, Lord Mishcon said that he thinks she's paranoid, shouldn't take any notice of it. However, when, when uh, there was a coroner appointed, I immediately made sure that letter was made to that coroner, had to look at the causes of death, and then subsequent, of course, we were appointed to do an investigation. Lord Mishcon, who was a solicitor, remember there is legal privilege in relation to a client and the solicitor, uh, was very generous and made three statements, um, which I took personally, 
in relation to the letter. And uh, he never veered from his, his view that this letter was because she was disturbed at the time, whether you know, Bashir in his interview had you know, done that. We know he certainly affected her mental state. Uh, so that was part of it. But he was absolutely adamant that there, had, that there was something of a paranoia around all of this. And we were very, very determined to bottom that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, along with Prince Charles, you sat down with Princes William and Harry, who you know yes, were so yes. young at the time. That must yeah. have really been a different experience to anyone else that you had spoken to. Well, it well it wasn't. It wasn't. You know, I, I treated uh, Miss Alfayed as a, a grieving parent. I'd seen Henri Paul's parents, which is quite a tragic thing because someone alleged that he was totally drunk, which he wasn't in the papers, if you probably remember. Mm-hmm. I'd seen Trevor Reese Jones. Yes, of course, it was a, a difficult thing. So. Before the report, and I think it was the day before the report was published, and we published it to the world press. Um, I said, you know, do you want to see me? Or do what? I didn't say me. I don't. You know, it's not. I said, do you want to see us? So I went along with two other people who were part of the investigation, a woman detective inspector, and um, outside the door, and uh, we we're going to see them in, in Kensington Palace. It was said, no, they only want to see you. That's me. So I went in there. We we had it was over an hour. I can't remember exactly how long. Hour an hour and a half. Um, I outlined what the conclusions were for about ten or fifteen minutes, and then the rest of the time was them asking me questions, um, which you'd expect because they didn't know the circumstances of their mother's death, where when she died, what did she say, and and beyond that, I don't want to declare what the conversations were. But at the end of the day, uh, it was very emotional. I have to say, I was quite emotional about it myself. Were they ever angry about all these conspiracy theories surrounding the accident? Um, I don't want to go into that, but what they were angry about, they declared it publicly, were the paparazzi who they thought were, you know, were, were very much behind what had taken place by chasing the car and making the car or in, in, inducing the car to go at 75 miles an hour. Um, they weren't too happy about that, I can tell you. Yeah. They have, oh, sorry. Sorry. I was just going to say, was it also difficult because you had this conversation with them how many years past the accident? What, six years after well, the accident? Uh, yeah, it was six years after the accident. And, um, you know, what we had disclosed, discovered, we, we saw 300 new witnesses um, right. in the inquiry, including some of the people who were very close to Princess Diana, because we, you know, one of the more unpleasant parts of it, we had to, do, to, to, to prove she was not pregnant because that was one of the allegations. And we did that by looking at the blood it had never been done before from the car, which we brought back. But more importantly, we did actually talk to close friends and the like uh, about it and go into um, what her periods were and interview all her boyfriends and, and so it went on. So there was a massive amount of information uh, I was I had, which, you know, they would want to know about. Um and uh, I'm not saying we would discuss that. It's another matter. But we did discuss all the questions they asked me answered. And um, I think, you know, they were satisfied that a proper job had been done. And yeah. that was also before the coroner's inquest. Yeah, I just imagine it had to be so hard waiting six years to have, you know, all the yeah, answers. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know William and Harry have placed a lot of the blame on the paparazzi. And it really was a toxic paparazzi culture at that time. But... Yes. Would Diana have survived the crash had she been wearing a seatbelt? Yes, it was proved. I mean, we we um, we use kind of oh gosh, we we use photographers, computer models, we use surveyors, and we took it to the transport research laboratory. 
And of course, models were put in a similar car and tried, as I said, I went in the car myself. And it was proved, more or less proved categorically, that if they'd worn seatbelts, both Henri Paul, Dodie, and Diana, they would have survived, particularly the two in the back of the car. So you can think, well, I think if she'd have had, you know, police protection, close protection, which she didn't have at that time, she certainly would have worn seatbelts. And again, that's another link in the chain, which would have ensured that that horrendous accident didn't take place. Lord John Stevens, thank you so much for taking the time and speaking with, the, with us today. This was uh, fascinating and very interesting. And I hope everybody watches the Diana Investigations on Discovery+. Plus. Thank you so much. Pleasure. And that's my plea. Let them watch it. Make their mind up then. Such an interesting conversation. I couldn't imagine, you know, he four years of his life in this investigation, combing through um, 104 different allegations to kind of get, to get the results. And 25 years later, these conspiracy theories do rage on. I know it must have been so it, it must have been so difficult for him to sort of spend so long um, on what was considered a national trauma and even an international trauma. I just so interesting. Yeah, definitely. Make sure to watch the Diana investigations. It's uh, a streaming now on Discovery Plus. So definitely check that out. Um, all right. Well, before we wrap up, we always have to check in on our pint sized palace with those little kiddos. And I thought this was interesting because People Magazine is reporting that Kate and William will not be living with their longtime nanny, Maria Barallo, when they make the move to Windsor um, since their new home in Adelaide Cottage only has four bedrooms. Um, so they're keeping her on as the children's caretaker, but she expect, is expected to live at another property with the other staff, such as a housekeeper. So it will be a major change for the children who have been living with her since uh, George, I believe, was eight months old. No, yeah. I think this is just another step um, of the, the Cambridge family. They really kind of want a normal childhood for their children as much as possible. Yeah. Um, so, you know, family dinners will just be family and bedtime is with mom and dad. And I think that that is really going to be valuable for them later in life. You know, Prince William has sort of said that the Middletons, their normalcy keeps him grounded in his really abnormal lifestyle. And so I think they're trying to give their children those roots and that sort of solid ground to grow up on as much as they possibly can. Definitely. I couldn't agree with you more. And also the kids are a little bit older now too. They don't need that 24 seven care that they did in the past. They're all probably going to school. So they're going to be, and I'm sure extracurricular activities and things like that. And, you know, having, like you said, that normal life and, um, you know, they just don't need it as much anymore. And they want to, you know, have a have the house to themselves, which I, I can't blame them. Right. Yeah. I'm excited to see this Windsor move when it does, ha- when we do finally hear about it officially, um, hopefully in the next few weeks. Definitely. Well, Christine, thank you for breaking down all things Royals with me. Definitely an interesting week with a lot of these documentaries and, uh, and a very interesting interview. So I'd love to hear what everybody has to say about us. Please let us know in the comments below and keep subscribing. Christine, I will see you next week. Soon. For more news content and exclusive interviews, make sure to hit the sub, like, and bell button down below and visit usmagazine.com.